Greetings, Sits and Sivs. You're tuned to episode 007 of Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This episode was recorded live on January 25th and made available for download January 28th at guardfrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Jeff. And I'm Lennon. What do we have this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we'll look up at the sky for an explosive surprise. In CIG News, we bring you up to minute coverage of everything happening around the UEE featuring our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest lore builder, Wingman's Hangar, 10 for the Chairman, and of course, organizations. In this week's spy-themed Nuggets for Nuggets, we tell you how you can avoid being seen whilst you're out on a dangerous mission, before finally letting you all know how you can get into the feedback loop and join our conversation. But before we get to all that, we just wanted to remind you that to deliver quality shows like Guard Frequency and our sister production, Priority One, it takes the constant effort of a team of people to do what we do. So if you would like to come and join our ranks, keep an ear out, and at the end of the show, we'll let you know how you can get involved. Well, that covers the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. This is our segment where we will bring you rumors, wishes, technology, oddities, and just about anything else we deem remotely connected to space, star citizen, squadron 42, flying, technology, anything, really. This week, we're going to bring you an explosion in space. It's not every night that a new star appears in the sky, but very recently, that's exactly what happened. Astronomers spotted what may be a very close supernova. Well, close for space terms, 12 million light years away. But this is close enough to be seen even with an amateur telescope. On January 22, 2014, astronomers working with the ARC 3.5-meter telescope at the Apache Point Observatory reported they had measured the spectrum of the supernova. Based on that data, they identified it as a probable type 1A supernova, meaning it has very little hydrogen, but significant amounts of silicone and other heavy elements. These supernovae are triggered either by the explosion of white dwarfs that gather too much mass or by the collision of two white dwarfs. While the explosion undoubtedly produced neutrinos, the distance is great enough that any arriving at Earth-based neutrino detectors will likely be swamped by other sources. However, the relative closeness of the supernova means that a variety of telescopes, both ground and space-based, will be able to monitor its evolution over the next few days as the explosion fades. The data will help astronomers distinguish whether it's truly a Type 1a and possibly even tell whether one or two white dwarfs were involved. Kind of a, a 12 million year old a late detective game is what they're looking at here. So, Lennon, I bet you didn't know this, but it was actually discovered in Britain. You're right. I didn't know that. I bet uh, you also didn't know that it was four university students who were just taking a class late at night. Who right. Were the first to report this. 
Well, I'm definitely down with the taking class late at night thing because that's pretty yeah. much what I do on a that's daily what you basis. Do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, which do you know which university they were from? Uh, I don't remember which one it was from, but it was four guys and their professor, and they were just going to use this because uh, this telescope and take a picture of this galaxy because it was uh, the clouds were coming in as I understand it does frequently in Britain. So yes. They were, they, yeah. So they were going to just try to use this camera as their first lesson with the digital camera they use for imaging space objects. And they said, well, let's just take a look at this galaxy because it's easy to find and we don't have much time left with the clouds. And then they said, what's that spot? <laughs> They're like, that shouldn't be there. And the, the professor kind of came over and went, oh, my God. And uh, they just started taking as many measurements as they could before they lost it in the clouds. And they were the first ones to report it. So, Yeah, fantastic. I've just actually found it out on uh, the BBC News website. To quote one of the students, he said, one minute we were eating pizza, then five minutes later we discovered a supernova. I couldn't believe it. I mean, that's, that's kind of a pretty good night, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah really. Pizza and a supernova? I mean, yeah, I haven't had many nights that good. What do you do this evening, honey? Oh, nothing. I just, you know, drank a lot of alcohol and ended up lying in a pile of my own vomit. What about you? Well, I discovered a supernova. <laughs> oh, you win. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. And the crowdfunding update for the 25th of January 2014, $37,321,249. Yes, folks, we've unlocked the Tanga system just as I predicted last week, right in the middle of the week. I think it was about 1 in the morning Central Standard Time. We're on our way to the Kano system and the Waterworld of Cartena. There's 11,466 alpha slots left and over 374,000 registered users. To quote the chairman himself, the breath of Star Citizen community continues to astonish. You have taken our charge and are creating something truly unique. And as is the tradition, we know the results of the poll for the 38 million stretch goal, the system known as UDS 2943 01 22. Wow, that's poetic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rolls well, right off the tongue. It's a very unique system which, until very recently, was thought to contain just one giant star. But scientists have since discovered that it's actually a trinary system. Due to the nature of the trinary star system's gravitational flow, we know that the jump point will be in human explored space. But we don't know if there are any planets carefully hanging on the stream of the trinary star's gravity. One thing is certain the first citizen to travel to UDS 2943 01 22 will have one hell of a view. And on the RSI website, a new piece of law landed in our laps with the latest news update, Congress Now. And, well, as a simple foreigner, Congress isn't really one of these things that I understand. So I kind of read the whole thing pretending it was actually called News Update House of Commons Now. And it generally made a lot more sense then, especially once I'd thrown in a few right honorables to balance it out and make it a little less colonial. Essentially, a rather lively debate occurs when one particular member of the Senate wanted to block a competing company from starting up purely because it would create competition. Uh, I quite like these little lore entries that we get every now and then as it really gives the game flavor and atmosphere. So if this is the sort of thing that interests you guys, then be sure to check it out over on the Robert Space Industries website. 
And speaking of lore, we get Lore Builder 13, Organizations and Numbering, in the latest and also last entry into the Lore Builder series, at least for now, it's gone on hiatus. The issue brings us the final layout for the UEE's Navy hierarchy, from the Imperator all the way down through High Command, all the way down to the squadrons and attack wings and down to the janitorial staff. It doesn't go that far, but it really should. This is a universe we're making here, damn it. This is essentially a grand refinement and finalization of the alphabet soup of squadron numbering that started several issues ago. It's gotten a little better since then, I think, but in case you're still a little lost as to who your boss is and what their boss's boss is and who they're reporting to, they've provided a very helpful infographic so you can see where your individual ship fits into the Star Citizen universe. Sorry, it doesn't go all the way down to the support staff just yet. All those grease monkeys that keep those ships flying. we got to have that in there somewhere. The Lore Builder series is now going on hiatus in favor of some brand spanking new fiction coming our way. So keep your eyes peeled to the RSA website for that. And another piece of news, kind of CIG related, but not strictly Star Citizen related. Chris Roberts recently went on Twitter to back an RPG on Kickstarter known as Kingdom Come. It's kind of cool to see fellow indie developers helping each other out like this, especially with the crowdfunding model. I was actually watching the promo video as they were at about £290,000 and they wanted a 300000 goal. And they managed to raise the remaining ten k by the time it took me to watch the eight-minute promo video. As it happens, they met their funding goal of £300,000, which is half a million US dollars within 36 hours of launching the Kickstarter. I think that Chris Roberts helped out a lot with that by just, you know. Oh, I would imagine. They are still going strong. They're currently at £444,065, which I've been reliably informed is about 600000 colonial dollars. And there's still 25 days to go. So if you want to get involved, then head on over to Kickstarter. Links will be in our show notes. In a move that was unexpected, but probably not unsurprising, CIG have announced that they're looking to team up with a hardware manufacturer to potentially start producing Star Citizen-branded joysticks. So, they've created a poll on the RSI website to gauge people's responses and get a better picture of how people intend to play the game to create the right peripheral. Alright, Jeff, so we make fun of you all the time for your warthog. Now's your chance to really shine. You gonna trade that sucker in, put it on eBay, and get an official Star Citizen stick? Well, if they make the right stick, yes. And I followed this poll quite well, reluctantly at first, and then I got into providing some feedback. I mentioned that they should hook up with Razer and bring back the failed or not produced Artemis that Razer had originally produced for, or at least showcased for MechWarrior Online. The beauty about this stick is that it's a nice solid piece. It reminds me of the Gravis Phoenix. And in the middle of it is a nice seven inch tablet, which could really overlay a bunch of ship systems, information, graphics, whatever. If they did this right, there's an opportunity here for RSI to really shine in the joystick world. Yeah, with that little seven inch display in there, you could genuinely get a real life Moby glass going as part of your HUD display. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I think it would be a phenomenal addition to the gameplay. Well, and the nice thing about that is is that the 7-inch tablet display is a pretty common form factor. So they could code for that feature, but if you have your own 7-inch tablet, you know, they would theoretically work on that as well. And, and that's what I'm really hoping for. I, I'm hoping for that a lot of people that are hiring will see the value on tertiary devices sitting on your desktop. So you've got old tablet you're not doing anything with or your Surface tablet. Something that is cross-boundary to all of them, because I think that dimension will add to the experience that is going to be Star Citizen. Also, at the moment in the poll, they're still quite undecided about what type of hardware to make, aren't they? Because they've spoken about HOTAS and they've spoken about joysticks. What do you think they'll probably end up going with? I'm 
pretty sure it'll be some type of HOTIS system with a bunch of switches and whatnot. Though there are some that think that RSI shouldn't get into the joystick manufacturing business. And I, I almost agree with them because what I'm afraid of seeing is buying uh, this really cool joystick that I can only use for Star Citizen. I hope that won't be the case. I don't believe that Chris Roberts will make that decision to do something like that, but it's not beyond the realm with them partnering up with, say, Thrustmaster or SciTech or CH Products and making a existing joystick one of their own. Here's where I go on this one. As of the time of this recording, there are 26,708 responses to yep. that survey. Now, each one of those is a unique login. I'm sure some people have three and four and five logins and may have voted in the poll three and four and five times. I'm sure. But not everybody does that. This is a survey with 20,000 responses to it. Just for comparisons purposes, the weekly unemployment survey in the United States for the whole country, that survey sample is 60,000 households. Right. So this is solid data. And a large, alarmingly large portion of them have said, we want a HOTA system. This is a user base of 10,000 units virtually guaranteed. Let's just face it. If they got 30,000 people to respond to this poll and half of them want a HOTA system, that's at least 10,000 units sold automatically. So this is going to happen and it's probably going to be a HOTUS. And I think that they're probably going to design a HOTUS for lots of different games. It'll just have Star Citizen's logo all over it. Now, the one thing that I get a, bit, a little bit edgy about was it was said before in when they did the dogfighting live stream that it was set up so that no one particular input method would be better than another input method. In fact, Chris said it would be input agnostic. But by them producing hardware, does that not then set the precedence that like if they're producing a HOTUS, then that the game is designed to run with a HOTUS? Do you think that there will then naturally be this edge if you're running not just a Star Citizen HOTUS, but any similar HOTUS in general? And does that then take the edge off of the controller agnostic side of it. Well, you got to remember that all a HOTUS is, is besides the access movement for your X and Y and your Z axis and your R axis, it's just a bunch of programmable numbers. A lot of keyboards these days come with, come with macro programmable keys. So whether you're using a mouse and keyboard or whether you want a hands-on stick and throttle, you're still going to have the same kind of input. It's just the input that you're used to that's going to either make you a better or worse pilot. And that's this week's community question. What hardware will you be using to navigate the verse? Will you be buying a Star Citizen joystick or HOTUS? Let us know by commenting on this post on our website, guardfrequency.com, or on our show post at the RSI forums. And also this week, the latest episodes of Wingman's Hangar and 10 for the Chairman dropped, so we thought we'd share with you a few of our favorite highlights from the show, starting with uh, Wingman's Hangar. Minimum and maximum cargo prices. Uh, we understand there were going to be some limitations. We don't want the economy to collapse, naturally. So we're going to see some ceilings and some floors put on. Prices will fluctuate, but within a defined range. So I think that's probably a smart idea and actually kind of indicative of a real-world economy. You know, governments will uh, interfere in markets to make sure that prices don't fall below certain levels or, you know, shoot too high on things. You know, we've played a lot of games. All of us have, have played a lot of games through the course of the years. And we've seen the economies tank. We've seen the economies get out of, mm -hmm. out of control. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to take anything at face value and say, okay, show me. 
Yeah, I think this is one of those times where it's kind of cool to draw the line between immersion and realism. Having the developers step in and put a minimum and maximum on the economy, that's just going to help the immersion of the game because you're never going to have to worry about, you know, is my ship going to be repossessed this month? You know, that's not fun. So, yeah, I'm all in favor of having a dev be in control of the market. As long as they leave a bit of wiggle room just to help with the immersion factor, then I'm all cool with that. I think it would be kind of neat to, you know, the back end they're talking about designing where the NPCs are sort of agents inside the persistent universe that can be knocked out and replaced when people log in. I think it would be kind of cool if they had some kind of market regulator that worked like a real government would that would step in and if supplies were getting out of hand, you know, prices were dropping too low, that the government would step in and buy up a bunch of it to act as a price support. Or if in real life they had a strategic reserve of microchips or whatever and if prices went too far out the other way, they would just dump a bunch of them on the market. I think that would be cool if that was, you know, the way that they controlled it on a day-to-day basis. Of course, they always have access to the database. They can just hit delete, 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 punch in new number here and then go. It'd be interesting if they could design the system with enough flexibility, like Lennon was saying, to give it some wiggle room and try to influence the markets that way. That would be cool. Will NPCs approach us for quests? It's a goal of the developers to have the NPCs come for you, but initially it's going to be a hub system, like a jobs board, where you have to seek out the NPC quests. I really hope that a nice slinky redhead come walking up to me and says she's got a mission for me. <laughs> oh, you don't want to take that mission. Oh, there's problems with that mission. Oh, more than meets the eye on those. All right, next one is how will we be able to get out of combat? No self-destruct button. Oh, man. Yeah, Chris did touch on this in his 10 for the chairman as well. But effectively, yeah, he doesn't want people just being able to effectively rage quit by just hitting the self-destruct because, you know, think of the insurance premiums. Yeah, Yeah, we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago with the QQing situation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to count as not a death, I guess, but like a safe ejection. But you're going to lose your ship. You're going to have an insurance claim. If you have uninsured cargo or gear on the ship, you're going to lose all that. It just seems to me like unplugging the Ethernet cord. If you're really that mad, just go ahead and unplug your Ethernet cord. I mean, take a real life. You have to get up out of your seat and reach around the back there, find a little clippy, and just you know pull. Yeah, I don't think there should be a button for that. And then go downstairs and treat yourself to some Earl Grey and crumpets. That's <laughs> right. of the queen. Everything will be fine. <laughs> well, the next one coming up is uh, will the audio also be alpha? And this caused a little bit of uh, debate, disagreement in our pre-show where the answer is Ben said if he, the developer, can come up with a new engine noise in six months. So does this mean that the alpha is not going to be fully fleshed out sound-wise or does this mean that they're always going to be improving it even after alpha release? See, I was wondering if this was actually a hint of when the alpha was going to be released, as in if the sound engineer can't get the proper engine sound in the game within six months, then the audio is going to be alpha at alpha release. So I was wondering if that sort of gave us some sort of indication, but I know that, Jeff, you had a bit of a different opinion about that. Yeah, I I watched, you know, when I watched the video, it just said it sounded to me like you said, well, you know, look, if I come up with a new engine sound in six months, then of course we're going to use that. It could be a new engine sound in eight months or ten months, based on how his development goes. That's what how I took it. You know, alpha is alpha. It just means that this is their best idea of what the game will be functional about, and then we'll play it, and then we'll go, that engine noise is too high-pitched and squealy, and I hate it, and I turn the sound all the way off when I fly the ship because I hate it so much. Well, then they'll, they'll iterate on it. 
they'll they'll do stuff with it. Yeah, I was just getting my hopes up that we'd have something, but <laughs> that's fun. All right. Next question was holiday events, and they say yes, not just in real life holidays, but also in game holiday events too, like UEE Formation Day. I like uh, that. Yeah, well, like in Star Trek Online, they have First Contact Day. That's kind of fun. It's good to see them using that in-game lore again. Food, drink, being drunk, being fat. Ben says, no, if you want to be fat and drunk, you got to do it the old-fashioned way. Here, here. <laughs> yeah. In short, be the guy behind the keyboard tapping on the keys and putting your Mr. John Stamos picture up or your profile pic. Well, uh, that's no my game. Talk about <laughs> officer. There's absolutely no blood in my alcohol system. <laughs> And, oh, finally, the firing range. There is an update coming soon. I got this sense that this was going to be some big hangar updates overall. I'll settle for getting my neutron cannon mounted on my test firing apparatus. I bought that yeah. thing from the Voyager Direct store, and I can't get it on my cannon mount. Hmm. Are you having an Apple proprietary connector problem? I am. I am. I made fun of that a few weeks ago, and here I am <laughs> with the same problem. Damn it. Yeah, there you are, like, ooh la la, Mr. Freelancer and all your incompatibilities, uh -huh. and then look at you. Look I, at you. I yes. should just keep my mouth shut. I really should. You should. In fact, don't even read the next bit. <laughs> but I'm going to because oh. it's about raising insurance premiums. Ten for the chairman. First question, raising insurance premiums. Yes for bad behavior, like using your ship as a battering ram or trying to defraud the insurance company. They're not going to sure how to implement it yet, whether it's probably going to be an immersion-based thing where people have to discover this or if it's just going to be a referee thing and the, the server will just penalize you for being naughty. I really, truly hope that people are going to play more smart than they are just going to be trigger-happy, that equipping your ship with EECMs and other countermeasures and escape systems would be high on your priority when you're going out in space and that simply cutting your cable. If you do cut your cable, please, I've got some tin snips, and I'd be happy to hand them to you. Cut your cable all you want just so that you can never plug in again. Yeah, Ooh. that's right. Well, I kind of see your point here because, and he was uh, saying the next question in our show notes was disengaging from combat, potentially hiding in asteroid fields, playing with people's radar, and just running away, getting out of their firing range. There should be a lot of ways in the game to avoid combat. And so the whole PvP versus PvE, where my slider at, I don't want to have to face real human beings. You know, if that really is the case, you should be taking advantage of all the in-game mechanics to avoid having to fight anyone, which, like Jeff's saying, electronic counter-countermeasures, stealth, just a big fat engine so you're faster than everybody else. A friendly wingman or two. Getting on the guard frequency and calling in for mm -hmm. help. I agree. I mean, if you think you're going to take advantage of the yanking the cord out of the back of your machine mechanic, you really ought to be thinking about playing a different game. Because <laughs> this game, I mean, there's supposed to be something on the line when you engage in combat in this game. And I think that's, that's a good thing. Next one, how will buying and selling ships work? And Chris Roberts says, decentralized market. There will be no unified auction house or exchange. Players will be able to make money buying from one part of the galaxy and selling on the opposite side. So there are going to be transportation costs and, like in everything in life, location, location, location. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was really glad to see this. I mean, one feature that I really loved from Final Fantasy XI was that the auction houses weren't linked. So you really could make money by selling an item in 
one place that you acquired elsewhere and it really did just add an extra layer of dynamics to it so I'm really glad to see this back in because so many games have taken a unified approach to their player to player selling that it's not as if an item in one location is rarer in the other location and it's not necessarily just for a making money sort of thing it's just to add again more more realism more immersion to the game so I'm really glad to see this in here in the in-game fiction, communications are supposed to not be faster than light between systems where your different auction houses would be. But you and me and Lennon can get on TeamSpeak and I can be in Earth and Jeff can be in Terra and Lennon can yeah. be in Magnus. And we can say, Lennon can tell me that they have a shortage of this here. Jeff can load up with a bunch of stuff in Terra or in Earth and I can load up a bunch of stuff in Terra and we can go there. So those price differentials may not persist in the sort of metagaming environment where I can hop on a TeamSpeak server and communications happen to see. So they're going to have they're going to have some challenges keeping that feature, and, that function alive. Not to mention the caps that we talked about before where there's going to be a, right. a low cap and a high cap. Doing that kind of thing may not even be profitable. Yeah, it may not be. Yeah, exactly, because they're because of the caps. But I mean, the economy is probably going to be the most challenging part of this whole game anyway, and the part that's easiest to screw up just because so many things can go wrong with it. But we move on with the leveling up system. There's not going to be a leveling system like you would find in a traditional MMO, but equipment can be upgraded, and this is something that I found very interesting. You might have to be licensed to have certain equipment, so you might have to perform a certain number of tasks or reach a certain factional approval in order to get a license to use certain types of equipment. That's like leveling. I wish he had gone in a little bit further. He mentioned skills, too. Does that mean that I get a skill tree like I do in E, where I have to spend time at training that skill so that I can use the minor equipment that he was talking about? I think he meant more skills as in acquiring the dexterity, for example, if it was mining, for you to actually learn how their mining mechanic works, how you as, a, as an individual, as a human, will pick up the skills to be able to do that particular action over and over again. I don't think he was talking about a skill tree or that sort of thing. Although, you know, having said that, I could possibly see it where taking this upgrade system, if you have a regular pickaxe, then you might be able to upgrade your pickaxe to the next level. So that would kind of be a bit like a skill tree, but it's still very much the equipment upgrade system. Yeah. I, but I, but I how do you reach that upgrade, Roberts. though? Do you get that upgrade by swinging that pickaxe? You just... Uh, so many times or do you no you just go and buy it I think what's interesting with Chris Roberts is when he says skill I really think he does mean the skill of the human being driving the computer or even the mental process like okay I'm going to be mining this type of rock I have these four pickaxes to choose from this is the pickaxe that will get me the most return for my time investment so I'll use that one and I know there's a fifth type of pickaxe out there but I have to reach a 55% approval level with that faction because they're the only ones that sell that kind of pickaxe. So I have to go do some missions or run some cargo for those guys in order to get that pickaxe that I really want. Or I have to have a certain license from the government to mine in this particular area, which has these really good rocks in it. So I have to go do some things for the UEE in order to qualify for that. I think that that approach to leveling is good because, number one, it actually creates barriers that you have to overcome, which is it's a game. You want to do that. And the second thing is is that it keeps it all in fiction. I don't have to just skill up. I don't have a skill tree because I'm not that smart. It's my guy in the game that's that smart. I, I like this approach, and I think the licensing thing is something that they really should explore. Uh, I do, too. Get it done. 
And in what is probably the biggest announcement of the well, pretty much the year so far, it is only the 26th of January, so I'm going to roll with that one. Yeah. Organizations have landed. Woo! So, yeah, there's a lot of hype surrounding them, and the system went through a bit of testing with subscribers, as we reported last week, and it's finally been released, so we can finally get out there and get organized rather than using the forums. Uh, just to give you a bit of stats on it, in the letter for the chairman, Chris himself said that since the organization system went online, 12 hours later, over 4,000 organizations were created. In fact, it's nearer to 5,000, and we're one of them, the guard frequency response. So have you guys had a chance to play around with the organization? What do you think about it? I haven't really played with it yet. I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some reason, I guess you hadn't bribed the uh, the founder of the fleet. Uh, you know, yeah, to, it's to, a to golden get, get ticket thing. You're just jealous of my golden ticket. I, I there it is. True, true enough. True enough. I mean, that's well, the thing. Is that three weeks ago we played rock paper scissors to see who was going to be in, and Tony ended up getting eagle. I got bunny rabbit, and. Jeff, I can't even remember what you had. I think think it was turtle. Turtle, antelope, something like that. That was clearly why you didn't become a founder when we set this thing up. I mean, Tony just got straight in there like a a greased bullet. He was like lightning. I was was watching my Twitters and and, uh, David Swafford popped up on my Twitters and it said, hey, the organization system's live. I think it was about 10 minutes after the the thing went live that I was on there creating our fleet. We're out there, Guard Frequency Response. Check it out. Uh, We'll have a link in our show notes or just search us, Guard Frequency Response. We're out there. And in a continuation of last week's segment, we see the welcome return of our segment entitled Where the F*** is the Dogfighting Module? So, this is our little segment where we tell you what we're doing to pass the time until the Dogfighting Module drops. Equally, if you've got a better title for it, send it in because apparently this one doesn't pass legal and I keep having to bleep it out, so whatever. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so what have you guys been up to this week? How are you stopping yourself from going a little bit stir-crazy waiting for this thing to arrive? Well, I jumped back into X-Wing Alliance. Game stands the test of time as far as I'm concerned, and I'm really enjoying the missions where I fly the freighter and I have the auto turret because I, all I do I get swamped by fighters and stuff like that and so all I do is just keep my turret in the firing field so that it takes out the ships it takes a little longer than you know me doing it myself just you know getting those on and, and firing the cannon straight forward but it, it's a different kind of a challenge and I can really see flying my Connie around, managing the shield, mm-hmm. managing the power output, and then having a buddy in the turret, and he just yells at me because I'm not keeping the guy in the field of fire, and I'm busy trying to make sure he doesn't get his ass fried with lasers. So, I mean, Tony, I think... Tony, Tony. could be kind of fun. Yeah. I, I would like to be that friend. You can be my friend. You can be in my turret. Jeff, do you want to be yes. in the other turret, or do you I, want to fly the fighter? I, I would like to fly the fighter, actually. Done. Given how it's gone, though, Jeff won't receive an invitation for about six months <laughs> yeah. after you get right, the game, right. so I wouldn't worry too much, Jeff. <laughs> uh, I'm not. But I've also been downloading some games for my Android tablet. I downloaded one called Interstellar Pilot. It kind of is a mashup between the very first Starfleet Command game and a space trading game where you have to collect discarded canisters and buy and sell them and trade them and buy upgrades to your ships and stuff like that. So that's how I've been passing my time. What are you guys doing? Okay. Well, I've been slipping on my 18-inch Dell XPS, that is. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> yeah, you've got a bigger tablet than me. Come on. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty sweet. I'm mostly interested right now in seeing what kind of third-party apps we can get for managing the game. I'm hoping that RSI and Cloud Imperium will step up and release some APIs and make some really cool things for the mobile world and the tablet world and generally the touch screen. If they release a proper API, I will be all over it. Oh, that would just be amazing. So, yeah, this week, uh, unfortunately, I'm also a student, so I've been doing a lot of university work. But when I've been neglecting 
to do my university work. I've actually been playing a game called uh, Europa Universalis 4, which I don't know if you guys are interested in strategy games at all, so it's completely non-space related, but it's very much like Risk on Crack. It is a hugely in-depth political slash army management slash diplomacy game, and yeah, it really does eat up a lot more time than you would imagine. A bit like this podcast, really. I I swear, (laughs) we started recording six hours ago, and I didn't have a beard. I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Well, I used to throw the board a lot when I was younger playing Risk. Uh, Am I able to do that here? Does there a throw the board function? Well, there's throw your computer out the window opportunity, but it is pretty much a one-time deal. If I borrowed Jeff's tin snips and just cut the Ethernet cable, would that that do the same thing? In fact, you could probably, what you could do is you can combine everything into one. You can borrow his tin snips, cut the Ethernet cable, and throw his tablet out the window. (laughs) That's what I'll do. Good good call. And it'll make a nice 18-inch hole as it's on its way out. (laughs) All right. And with that, all of our latest updates from CIG News are done. Let's get into the basics with Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets. This is our section of the show where we delve into the mechanics of Star Citizen and give you the gory details from the inside out. Fair warning, the game is still in active development, so all the information given is subject to change. In Anur spelled with a U, of episode 007, we're going to talk about stealth and how you can avoid being detected. So in Star Citizen, there are four main ways of being seen. Your radar image, your thermal signature, your EM signature, and good old-fashioned eyeballing. Whilst there are many ways you'll be able to reduce the size of your radar, thermal, and EM footprint, there's going to be no way to cloak and hide in the shadows, so sorry to all you Romulan fans out there. That doesn't mean you can't avoid being seen. There will be plenty of ways to reduce your visual footprint, such as hiding behind asteroids or painting your hull black and flying dark. That is, switch off all your electronics and drift with minimum thrusters. Some ships are going to be built with stealth in mind, such as the Hornet series and its upgrade, the Hornet Ghost, a stealth-oriented craft designed to leave a low radar signature. It's worth noting that the upgrades from these ships to increase stealth, like the Ghost's Void Armor, can be applied to different models of ships. However, they may not be as effective, unless you also reduce other stealth-related factors like engine output. Which brings us nicely to one of the major factors about stealth, balance. For every action, there is an equal reaction. So if you upgrade your hull plating to reduce your radar image, you might end up accidentally increasing your EM footprint. So let's just say you then swap out your engines to reduce the EM footprint. Well, then your thermal signature may increase because you've got to trade off one thing against another. So there will definitely be trade-offs to make, and no ship will be able to completely be invisible to an expert tracker. So what sort of goodies can someone get to help them sneak through the shadows? There will be hull coatings to reduce radar and thermal signatures, specialized hull geometry for radar stealth, and specialized engines that can run colder and leave less of a trail. Well... That's great, but what about reducing your visual footprint? Well, aside from hoping that the person hunting you is flying a freelancer and not have a great field of view, you will be able to paint the hull black. Skull and crossbones motifs are optional, of course, and hide behind anything big enough. Unfortunately, we don't have enough details on planetary landing to say if you can hide in the atmosphere or stars corona, but you can certainly hide behind them. However, there are rumors that planetary poles will upset EM readings, so you may be able to effectively mask your EM signature through careful positioning. 
So, in conclusion, a dedicated stealther would be able to massively reduce the size of their footprint in the verse, but they wouldn't be able to eradicate it completely and will have to be super careful when it comes to being spotted. There's also rumours abound that they're going to be implementing a mechanic whereby if you outfit your ship to be too stealthy, then the fuzz in the high sec systems will flag you as suspicious and will actually be following you closer. So, the best advice we can give? Fly casual keep your distance but don't make it look like you're keeping your distance and so jeff you've played more wing commander than i've had tea and crumpets what's your take on the stealth mechanics i think this is awesome um i definitely a lot of my characters uh i love covert ops i love being able to acquire data and information it's going to be an interesting balance of play obviously when you build a super stealthy ship you should be tissue paper basically so it means that you have to be smarter than those that are hunting you. And so between the stealth mechanics and your own brains and your own skills, your flying skills, you can either be the best covert op person around or you're just going to be paying a lot of insurance premiums. I do like the chess game you have to play with your variety of systems. I mean, I think this is the way to implement the stealth mechanic. We all play Star Trek online, and Mm -hmm. the stealth mechanic there is pretty simple. You just hit your cloaking device. Now, it it does have some tweaks to it. It, It's not a completely invisible thing. Your adversary has a high sensor rating that can see through the stealth. But I like this version of it because there's different ways to see through the stealth. And the person who's trying to cloak themselves are going to have to plan for each of the different varieties of sensor types that uh, someone could use to locate you. So, citizens and civilians, like we said, this is a section of the show where we like to delve into the mechanics and bring you all the details from the inside out. And with that in mind, this isn't just a one-way conversation, so we're going to be hosting another ship poll. Which ship in Star Citizen would you like us to talk about next? You can vote below this post at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's hear what you guys have to say, and let's get into the feedback loop. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! From our show post at GuardFrequency.com and via Twitter, we hear from Tichala. Will you be able to play multiple roles in Star Citizen, or just one role at a time? Bounty hunter on one character, military on another. I guess this goes along with the multi-boxing question. Nicely informative about the ships and cost versus your pledges to the game. Well, thank you, Master T'Challa. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you guys think? Are you going to be faction limited if you get in too good with the military? Is that going to preclude you from taking bounty hunter missions? I would not expect it to. I mean, if you're military and let's say you go down the covert ops track, then it kind of falls that you would become a tracker or could be playing as a bounty hunter. It may be more like what types of military missions you do that make you attractive to a bounty hunter clan or organization. If you're out there distributing aid to the refugees as your military profession goes, uh, then you know they may not have any use for you. But if you're connecting with ne'er-do-wells in the first place out there on your military role, the bounty hunter clan might be interested in your services. And via the Robert Space Industries forums, we hear from Oblivious. He says, Just listened to episode 6. Thanks for another great show. I've been looking for space sims to hold me over till the dogfighting module, so thanks for the suggestions. I've actually been given some classic Chris Robert games to try. I thought I'd start at the beginning with Wing Commander. I'm enjoying it so far and intend to work my way through Chris's entire back catalogue. Good choice. Most of which can be found at GOG.com for anyone who's interested in giving these games a try for the first time. Also, the show's thread deserves to be stickied soon. It's rare to find a podcast which has been so professionally done right from the get-go. I think the community would appreciate that, and we should try and spread the word to as many citizens as possible. Oh. Well, Oblivious, 
couldn't here, here. agree with you more. Indeed. Well spoken. Here, here. Very well spoken. Unfortunately, though, we have been in touch with the forum moderators, and they have let us know that they're going to be removing all the sticky posts from the fan site section because at the time they started it up, there was only one or two podcasts, but now there's a few more on the go, and they don't feel it fair to favor others. So, hey, at least, you know, we know where we stand there. Via Twitter, we hear from nobody, but that's okay because... We want to thank Master T. Chala for his follow Fridays and the retweets all you guys are sending out. And from our email, squawk at guardfrequency.com, we hear from Ripcord. Good day, Ripcord here. I'm a first-time writer, long-time listener to Priority One, and I've listened to Guard Frequency since the very beginning. I'd like to say congratulations on reaching lucky episode seven. Yay! Double O seven. Double O. right. Well, he doesn't know that yet because it hasn't. This has just come out. What am I doing to pass the time before the dogfighting module? Well, mostly I'm saving up for a new video card. I can hear the beautiful sounds of the hangar bay, but alas, I get a not so wonderful black screen due to my video card being unsupported. Sadly, I have no current space games to suggest as far as pure flight simulators. To this day, X-wing Alliance is the only one I still play, aside from the occasional bouts with Wing Commander and DOSBox. I used to enjoy Star Wars Galaxies, but only so far as having a party of people aboard my YT-1300 to fly around and get into trouble together. I also enjoy throwing hapless Kerbals into orbit in Squad's Kerbal Space Program. Good hunting, everyone. Well, Wing Commander and DOSBox, just like uh, T'Challa. I'm playing X-Wing Alliance, uh, so Mm -hmm. another good game to prep on. Kerbal Space Program, I've looked at it, I've tried it, I've tried downloading it, I've just never played it yet. Uh, so. It's good. One thing that I'm kind of curious about on this, though, and this kind of depends on what they decide to release for the planetary landing side of things, is that with Kerbal Space Program, it is a very good simulator of how physics works. So, you know, if you want to try and put yourself into a retrograde orbit and all this sort of thing. And mm. I think it would be quite interesting to see if they do have real physics in the planetary landing side of things, if there will be a definitive difference between those that have played Kerbal Space Program and those that haven't. Because those who have know how to maintain a standard orbit, they know how to not get knocked out. Whereas those who haven't, it's probably going to be this whole new learning curve. And I just think that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We hear from Grim Craig. Great show. I've learned more from listening to your podcast than I have trying to discover the answers myself on the official site. Oh, and slightly embarrassing, I was listening to the podcast and forgot I wasn't on TeamSpeak and actually asked a question out loud. Oops. Well, <laughs> uh, nice nice job, Grim. Well, I wish you could join us, but sadly, we can't answer your question. Yeah, yeah not on recording anyway. We are still looking at getting a live stream so had to go live one of these days. Of course, during the recording of this show, we had like four technical failures, so that uh. just shows me we're not quite ready yet, but we're getting there. Also, we want that kind of interaction, though, guys. You know, if, if you listen to us and you have shows or if you disagree with something we, we say or that's not right. I found a forum post from the dev that says something completely opposite. Hey, call us out. Let us know. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you guys, even if you're just shouting at your radio. All right. Well, do we deserve to be spared the whip this week? Should we try doing the show in the shower? Ah, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check us out on our forum post, forums.robertspaceindustries.com. You can leave a comment on this episode's show notes at www.guardfrequency.com and now you can subscribe to us feeds.guardfrequency.com or just search for us on iTunes. Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot us an email, squawk, that's S-Q-U-A-W-K at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. 
And we'd like to give a special thank you to all of our new Twitter followers at JStickRequired, at Necromortius, at HuskerBK81, at Scum underscore Gaming, and at John Malone. Thanks for following us, you guys, and thanks once again to Master Tichala for doing his Friday followers. And that brings us to the end of episode 007 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 8 on the 4th of February. Please send us your feedback about the show. Hit our website, guardfrequency.com. Our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. That's G-U-A-R-D-F-R-E-Q. Our Twitter, at guardfreak. Our email, squawk at guardfrequency.com. And by hitting the contact form at the top of our website, maybe our show's forum thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. All the details for all the ways to get in contact with us will be in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Do you want to come and join us and drink pina coladas and dance in the rain? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you're looking for a friendly wingman or two, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. We want to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions. Special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music for our show. Visit RonaldJenkies.com for more of his work. And we especially want to thank you folks tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. 10 Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard. That brings us to the end of episode 7 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 8 on 007. And that brings us to the end of episode 007 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 8 on the 4th of February. Please send us your feedback about the show. Hit our website, guardfrequency.com, our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash guardfrequency. Boy, that really got worse after I got it it going. And this week's spy themes, Nuggets for Nuggets, will tell you how you can avoid that. Okay. <clears throat> In this week's spy themes, Nuggets. Spy themes. The dreams. Spy themes. Spy themes. Spy Okay. In this week's spy themed Nuggets for Nuggets, we tell you how you can avoid being seen when you're out in the dangerous mid. Uh, I almost had it. I own this. Almost, just I own it. this. <clears throat> you own this is yours. Yep. This is something. This is nothing. This is something. This is nothing. In this week's spy themes, spy. In this. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> in this week's. Okay, so spy themed. Lennon, we're going to cut that. No, no, no. Uh, no, yes. no. I'll, I can do no, it. No, no, no. You can do uh, it. All right. Okay. I spin, you spin, we all spin for spy themes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Spy. Uh, okay, all right, okay. In this week's spy-themed Nuggets for Nuggets, we tell you how you can avoid being seen whilst you're out on a dangerous mission, before finally letting you all know how you can get it. Before finally letting you all know how you can get it into the feedback loop and join our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying not to laugh after you said whilst. Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> I love doing this. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
From our show post at GuardFrequency.com and via Twitter, we hear from T'Challa. Will you be able to play multiple roles in Star Trek Online? (laughs) (laughs) Elijah Elijah will be proud. Yeah, he will be. Priority One Podcast, pretty cool show. You should listen to it. Check it out. Especially once I throw in a few right honorables to balance it out and make it a little less colonial. Did you add in extra drinking? Uh, extra drinking and shouting and I object. No, wait, that's lawyers. I always get confused. Lawyers, right, the objections is lawyers just shouting randomly. <laughs>